1 Timothy chapter 3. We read this morning and introduced, over, took an overview of verses 1 through 7. We established that in the Bible, uh, there's a very different order of things than you have in Roman Catholicism or Protestantism or even uh, most Baptist churches. That is, you have a plurality of leadership. You have the, the evangelist missionary who starts the work. You have the uh, pastor who nowhere in the Bible does a congregation vote upon who is going to be their pastor. Right. Uh, can you imagine going into Corinth and winning a group of people to the Lord, and then a year later having those people select who is going to be the pastor of the church? No, not, to be an, not to be an insult to those people, but if you've read 1 Corinthians, they're not fit to choose uh, the dog catcher, much less a pastor of a church. And so the evangelist who established a church in Ephesus, uh, Paul turned it over to Timothy. In Crete, uh, Paul turned it over to Titus. It was his responsibility. And then uh, Timothy and Titus were to find men spiritually qualified to serve in the office of a bishop and in the office of a deacon to support and to help with the leadership of the church. We read in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 this morning, this true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Would to God more men desired spiritual excellence in our day and time. A bishop then must bleed, blameless, the husband of one wife at a time. Now you wouldn't want me to add anything to the scripture, would you? No, no. the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given a hospitality, apt to teach. We touched upon all those things this morning. Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. And, and we made adequate remarks about those statements. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how should he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall in the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. I find it very significant that in all of our New Testament, only once can I think of someone who is the double object of the devil's attention, and that is someone who is qualified to be a spiritual leader in the church. Who would the devil rather take down? than those in, in office holding positions, uh, positions of rank and of leadership in the church. The devil's not trying to tear down people out in the world. He's just guiding and directing them through their miserable lives. But when someone excels spiritually uh, and, and desires to excel spiritually, they're going to become the object of Satan's attention. And so the Bible says in verse 14, these things write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So in God's house, God is looking for men to lead his house. And, he, and those men are to be selected based upon how they uh, guide and direct and take care of their house. Now come to Titus chapter number one. Titus chapter one, similar situation, similar passage this time in Crete as opposed to Ephesus. 
Uh, Titus 1, verse number 5, This cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. It's not a vote of the congregation. It's not a popularity contest, uh, secret ballot, or, or showing of hands. It is, it is the man in charge of the assembly. He is also in charge of selecting those who will serve with him and, and under his direction and leadership. Four, uh, Bible says in verse number uh, six, if any be blameless, we covered that this morning, husband of one wife, we covered that this morning, having faithful children. Uh, some may say, what a, what a man, man doesn't have children? He couldn't have faithful children. So it's, we're, we're, not, we're not saying one man's uh, less saved than another, one man's uh, less uh, important than another. We're saying there's certain qualifications God set forth. Why? What well, we said this morning, why, why is the man to be the husband of one wife and know how to, how to be the ruler, the head over that wife? Because if he can't rule one wife, he certainly can't rule uh, over uh, a, a multitude of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, what should we say, of not yet spiritually mature women in the church. And likewise, how are you going to raise a bunch of babes in Christ if you can't raise the babes that you have round the clock in your own home? How, how influential are you going to be in the lives of baby Christians and young people growing up in the church house? And so the Lord wants uh, these men to prove themselves in their home, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. Riot. What do people do when they riot? <laughs> they, they violate the law. It's disorderly conduct. And this man has to have his emotions under control, his life under control, unruly. He can't be someone who breaks the rules. How, how are you going to teach people to obey the rule of God's word if you're unruly? How are you going to teach people to be in submission to Lord Jesus Christ if you're riotous in your character and in your conduct? So, so we're looking for people who are exemplary in, in their Christian living. Uh, and Bible says in verse 7, for bishop must be blameless as the steward of God. And so it's important in the home. The man is the ruler of the home. He's not the rule maker in the home. God made the rules. The man is the steward to make sure God's rules, God's order is carried out. Likewise, in the church house, the preacher, the bishops, the deacons, it's not up to them to, to create doctrine. It's up to them to ensure, to, to enforce, to teach, to promote the doctrines that God has already dispensed. It's a, it's a stewardship. I'm entrusting these men with these truths, and I want these men to pass these truths on to others. Uh, uh, steward of God, not self-willed. Not self-willed. Everyone doesn't get their way. In fact, nobody gets their way. God doesn't get his way all the time. Why should you get your way all the time? And the question is not, what is your will? What is my will? What is our will? The question is, what is the will of God? And so in this stewardship, we, we subject our will to God's will. Yeah. Now, people don't like that. Uh, it's, it's just by, by our nature, we don't like that. So think of the situation here. We, we already established from 1 Timothy 2 that God ordained male leadership in the church. God ordained male leadership in the home. And, and that's, that's right. We saw that. Now in chapter 3, who's going to be in a leadership position in the church? The people who know how to make male leadership work in the home. All right. So God said, way back, this, God, this is what God said in Genesis chapter 3. He said that 
the woman's desire would be to her husband, and the man, the husband, the man would rule over the wife, the woman. Okay? Now, God wants men in spiritual leadership who have proven that they can persuade, lead, teach, convince their wife that God's order is better than their own order. Now, what if a man says, well, I just don't want to do that? Well, then he's self-willed. If he doesn't want to rule his own house, he's self-willed, and his will is running contrary to God's will. Yes, sir. Amen. What if, what if his wife is self-willed and she doesn't want to do things God's way? She's a modern, liberated, uh, feministic American woman and no man's going to tell me what to do. No man's going to be the head of my house and boss me around. No preacher's going to tell me what to do. Well, if that man can't persuade that woman that God's way is better than her way, then he, how could he persuade anyone else? He has more time to influence his own wife than he will ever have to influence anyone else's wife. So he has to show at home that he can convince his wife that God's will is better to follow than her will. Now, what about his children? Well, you know, uh, these, these boys and girls, uh, they, they got all this rebellion in them and disobedience and, and they don't like rules and don't like to be told what to do. Okay, uh, I don't know a boy that shows up on the face of the earth that says, tell me what to do, I'll follow all the rules. They say it's, you know, it's ADD, it's ADHD, it's, it's you know, opposition uh, disorder and all this kind of stuff. No, it's called sin. Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. So these children have a will. God has a will for them. It is not the parent's duty to ask the child, what do you want? It's the parent's duty to take stewardship from God and say, this is what God wants of you. This is what God requires of you. This is what you are going to do as long as you live in this home where, where I am in, in, in God's stead in authority over you. Now, if a man can't make that work in his own house with his own son, his own daughter, whom he has round the clock seven days a week, all year long, he's not ever going to be able to do that for anyone else's children. So you understand, we're not saying he's not saved, she's not saved. What we're saying is God has a will, God is in order for the home. And if you are not living in accord with God's will and God's order in your home, God can't trust you to be over anything in his home. Amen. Your house, God's house. Okay, so, and, and I hear people all the time say, well, you know, so-and-so is a great preacher, so-and-so is a great Bible teacher, so-and-so is really used of God, and the fact that he couldn't stay married is not his fault. God says if he couldn't figure it out, if he couldn't lead one woman in the right ways of God, he's not qualified to lead a hundred women in the right ways of God. Look, God's, God's, Word is supposed to be more important than our love for or loyalty for any human being on the face of the earth. Preacher, missionary, evangelist, pastor, doesn't matter. And when you start making excuses for a wife's disobedience, a child's disobedience, a preacher's disobedience, you are being self-willed. 
I don't, that, that, I don't say why that should be problematic to anyone that believes the Bible. And so the Bible says not self-willed, not soon angry. Thank the Lord he didn't say not angry. <laughs> Man, there's some things that ought to, you ought to be angry about. But it shouldn't be every little thing. And, and, and it shouldn't just, just, something shouldn't just set you off. Uh, Jesus uh, was angry. God is angry with the wicked every day. And it's not a sin to be angry. But you can't have someone dealing with uh, upheaval and, and turmoil who's quickly and easily provoked. Supposed to be de-escalating things, not escalating things. Not angry, not given to wine. We, we talked about that this morning already. No striker covered that. Filthy lucre, lover of hospitality. And then here's one that's not in the, in the Timothy passage. A lover of good men. Lover of good men. Now, here, here's what we want. And I, I, I'm not careful to say this. I, I'm, I'm careful to say it correctly, but I'm not careful to say this. This modern, modern idea that God wants everybody in church is not true. This modern idea that God wants everybody who comes to a church to stay in a church is not true. Church is supposed to be higher than a lodge, higher than a club. It's, it's whosoever will may come, but not on their own terms. On God's terms, and I'll, I'll show you this, uh, lover of good men, uh, look, if you hang out with rascals and scoundrels, but you go to church, you're welcome to come to church, but you can't lead a church if those are the kind of people you want to, to, to associate with because you'll bring them into the church with you. We don't want a church full of rascals and scoundrels. So the leaders in the church have to have the right kind of friends and keep the right kind of company. And it's select friendship and it's select company. It's not everybody. Uh, Jesus didn't hate drunkards. I don't hate drunkards. But if I spend any time at all with a drunkard, it's going to be to convert him to Christ and get him off the booze. It's not going to be just pal around with him while he drinks. Lover of good men. Now look in, uh, look in Acts chapter 20. And I'll show you this, Acts chapter number 20. It's backed up in the scripture. Acts 20 and verse number 17. From Miletus, he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And then we come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I've been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility to mine. And verse 20, kept back nothing from you. Verse 22, and now behold, I go bound to spirit Jerusalem. And said, you know, I'm not going to see you again. I want to see you one last time. Verse 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost that made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. So what is the first duty of those in spiritual leadership in the church? Feed the flock. Feed them the Word of God as overseers. We're, we're looking over. We're ruling over. We're watching out for. We have a stewardship to make sure the church of God is fed with the Word of God. Now, verse 29. 
For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Now let me ask you something. If a shepherd has oversight of a flock and a wolf comes in, is he supposed to say, praise the Lord, our congregation is growing? Isn't this nice? We have two more four-legged animals than we had last week. No, he's supposed to take out the wolf. So those in spiritual leadership in the church have to be given to hospitality. Lovers are good men. They are, they are nice men. They are gracious men. They are kind men. They are polite men. But they are not all embracing, what's the modern term, tolerant men. They do not tolerate bad behavior. They do not tolerate bad doctrine. They do not tolerate falsehood that would harm the church. And, and this is, this is a, a really uh, important part of these qualifications for leadership. Are you soft on carnality? Are you soft on modernism? Are you soft on, on bad doctrine? Are you soft on, on modern influences that corrupt the church? You cannot be if you're going to be a fit leader for a, a strong church. Look, here, here's the situation, and I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that people under, understand this. They say, I know this guy, and he believes this doctrine. It's this new modern wacko doctrine on the Internet, but it's not wacko. It's, it's the real, I mean, it's the, it's the, I just can't believe your preacher doesn't know this, because it's the thing. And they think that because they can win an argument with you about the thing, that it proves they're right. Look. You've got, your pastor has 66 books in the Bible to study. He's supposed to declare, as you just read, all the counsel of God. He's not going to win an argument with a guy that watches 10 hours of wacko video doctrine every single day. This man is immersed in wacko. And your pastor is trying to feed these people and minister to these people and help these people, plan this funeral, get this wedding together, prepare three sermons a week. And you think because you can win an argument with this guy about the, the hollow earth and the passageways of the North and South Pole and the secret chamber at the bottom of the Great Pyramid that goes down in the underground cities that Adolf Hitler knew about. <laughs> I'm old, man. I remember when the earth was hollow before the elephant stomped on it. And, and anyway, I... The fact that your pastor can't win a fight with those guys means nothing. But somebody besides the pastor has to be keeping those guys that are trying to come in through every door and window into your church from getting in there and eating sheep. And so you have to have kind men and loving men and gracious men who know how to shoot wolves. Yeah, praise the Lord. All right, back to Titus. You say, I wonder why the preacher's letting that crazy doctrine go on in the church. I'm going to tell you something. The people bringing the crazy doctrines in the church, make sure the pastor doesn't know about it. So you can't wait for the pastor to deal with it. You men got to deal with it because it's coming to you before it ever gets to the pastor. Nobody ever comes in and says, hey, preacher, can I give you this, uh, this video here? Uh, this video will show you why you're wrong. They don't do that. They come in and say, hey, you know, your pastor's wrong. If your pastor ever told you about this, because if your pastor hadn't told you about this, he's not really going. <laughs> yeah, you're right. right. 
That's a fact. You know, before you guys were ever trying to prove who, who did or didn't take down the Twin Towers, um, I, I, I knew who, who burned the buildings down in Waco. I mean, I'm way, I'm way ahead of you. Waco, what was that? Oh, I better look that up. No, why don't you read your Bible once in a while? Why don't you, why don't you read the Bible? I got a pastor friend, he met Randy Weaver. You know what he did? He witnessed to him, gave him the gospel, tried to win him to Christ. Why didn't he, why didn't he help him overthrow the government? Which government do you want to overthrow? Yeah. County, state, city? Christ will do it when he gets back. Amen. He told you to win those people to, to the Lord. And, and somebody going to come into your church and, and change it from, from Bible preaching to political preaching. Change it from winning souls to winning elections. And somebody needs to put a rock in the sling and, and hit that wolf in the backside and make him run. Amen. All right, back to Titus. Back to Titus. Uh, love her hospitality, love her good men. All men aren't good men. Sober, just. If your best friend's wrong, he's wrong. If your worst enemy's right, he's right. Can't, we can't have partiality in leadership. Holy, holy. Dedicated to the Lord, separated from sin. You don't need cussing church leaders. Don't need Christian cussing church leaders. You know, same word with the same emphasis. We just change a couple of the letters. Doggone it. You, everybody knows what you mean. <laughs> well, I can't believe you preached against doggone it. Well, that's one I haven't touched on yet so far in my career, but there, I, just, I just hit it. Oh, geez. We know what you're saying. Cause you don't, just because you don't put the last syllable on it. We don't need Christian custom. We need holy people. We don't need dirty jokes and dirty stories and all that kind of stuff. Amen. Yes, sir. Amen. Temperate, temperate, not too hot, not too cold, not lukewarm. <laughs> temperate, controlling, regulating the temperature, temperament. Here we go. Now watch. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. That's Acts 20, 28. That he may be able, watch, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped. Teaching things that they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Uh, subvert whole houses. You know what you need? You need men in the church that when, that when that false doctrine starts, that crazy doctrine starts, that carnal worldly influence starts, they know how to shut them up. Shut them up, shut them down, shut them up. Amen. No, I don't like that. You know why? Because you're too nice. Nice is not in the Bible. Amen. <laughs> nice gets you killed. Nice will get you invaded. Nice will cost you your country. Nice will cost you your church. We're to be kind, we're to be loving, we're to be gracious, but you don't pet wolves on the head and put bowls of dog food out for them. You can't do it. Now, now, there's what we believe. It's on the wall. It's in the 
uh, handout that we gave you. It's on the website. That's what we believe. If you don't believe that, you can come here and learn to believe what we believe, or you can find a place to believe what you believe and go there. But you don't come here sneaking around with all this, read this, read that, look at this, look at that. No, that's, that's subversion. Subversion. And as I said, it's, it's not up to the pastor alone. It's up to the church to deal with that stuff. You know, there's churches in America, uh, for whatever reason, maybe you got a small uh, church out in the country somewhere, a rural church, and some guy comes there, and he spends two years, and he, and he moves on. Another guy comes there three years, and, and he moves on. Another guy comes there a couple of years, and his wife says, I don't like living here, and he moves on. That church has had 10 pastors in 20 years. Well, pastor can't run that church. They haven't had a pastor faithful to that work since it started. You better have some faithful men in that church and make sure the next pastor in and the next pastor in and the next pastor in holds the line on that doctrine. Oh, you, we're not supposed to raise our hand against the man of God. If he's going against the Bible, he's not a man of God. Guy gets in the pulpit and starts, starts undermining biblical Christian truth. You're not supposed to sit there and take that. You're supposed to say, wolf, wolf, help, help. Amen. And your elders and your deacons, your bishop's supposed to show that man the door. Yes, sir. As quickly as possible. You say, you're, you're for church splits. No, 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 no. You, you're, not hearing, you're not hearing what I'm saying. There are, there are churches all over America, they used to believe in the virgin birth, the Trinity, the blood atonement, the deity of Christ, and today they don't. How'd they get there? It wasn't just a, a modernist preacher. Yeah. Go ahead. It was some man who saw what was happening and didn't put a stop to it. Yes, sir. That's, that's right. That's a fact. All right. First, uh, where else do we want to go? First Timothy chapter, no, First Peter chapter 5. Let's go there. First Peter chapter 5. You got to have a great preacher, have a great church, but it takes more than a great preacher to have a great church. You got to have great men around that great preacher. Amen. We need them. First Timothy, uh, first Peter, I keep saying Timothy. We'll get there in a minute. First Peter chapter five, verse one. The elders which are among you, I exhort. Elders, plural, bishops, plural. That's how it's rendered. I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, also partake of the glory that should be revealed. Here it is again. Feed the flock of God which is among you. The first primary duty of all church leaders is to give God's word to God's people. Taking the oversight thereof. Now, what, what must that mean? If three times, not the pastor, the elders, the bishops, the church leaders, if three times they are told, plural, to feed the flock, then it's obvious you can't get everything you need in three church services a week. Now, I don't know how much you want. I don't know how fast you want to grow in the Christian life. I don't know how much of your life you want devoted to Jesus Christ. But the Bible says you ought to assemble the first day of every week and hear the preaching of the Word. Well, you're not going to have six men preach every service. So what's this feeding the flock? Well, who's going to disciple if you get 10 people saved, praise God, wouldn't that be a blessing? Next six months, you get 10 people saved. 
You think the pastoring spends sufficient time with those 10 people and all the other people and the weddings and the funerals and the counseling and the preparation and the Bible study and the prayer? No, they're going to fall by the wayside unless we have other hospitable homes and other men apt to teach and other people who are giving of their time and their energy to teach and to train. There's a lot involved in this thing. A lot involved in this thing. Uh, the man discipled me, wasn't a preacher, uh, never has been, never will be, but he, he poured his life into me and I thank the Lord for it. And the pastor, it wasn't that he didn't want to do it, when would he have done it? So taking the oversight thereof, uh, not uh, by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And there it is, plurality and sample. And, and showing people how to live, not just telling them. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, uh, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So here's two things you've got to consider. God says we've got to have men in leadership that are willing to be in leadership, but don't glory in being in leadership. You've got to have people who are, who are in a position to tell other people what to do and how to live who don't want to run other people's lives. You understand what I'm saying? There's no, there's no godly man that wants to boss a wife around. He would rather walk arm in arm with her as she follows his lead. You understand? But that man can't enjoy that if his wife is not in agreement with God, that she should be in submission to the man that God has told her to be in Right? So you got this godly man who's trying to do it right, and this woman who won't let him, or you got this ungodly man who's trying to drag his wife around by the hair of the club in his hand, you know, and, and she'd, she'd submit herself any day to a godly man, but this guy, are you kidding me? So it takes both. And you have a pastor that, loves people and wants to guide them and, and church leaders that love people and want to guide them. But if you've got a bunch of rebels that say, nobody's going to boss me around, nobody's going to tell me what to do, you can't have a good church. If men are willing, willing, not because they want to run other people's lives, but if they're willing to take the oversight, that's a great thing. But it only goes as far as people are willing to be overseen. Is that fair enough? Yeah. I see these kids around here that want to be musicians and, and play on instruments, and that's a blessing. That's a blessing. And one of them signs up for violin lessons, one of them signs up for guitar lessons, one of them signs up for piano lessons, one of them signs up for banjo, <laughs> banjo lessons. <laughs> banjo, got to have a banjo in the band. Anyway, and, and so, so what, they do, what do they do? Well, the ones that end up learning to play the instruments are the ones that say, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Tell me how many times I need to repeat that chord. Tell me how many times I need to, to practice that, that scale. And the ones who never amount to anything are the ones that, why do I have to do that? Why do I have to start there? What do you know about it? You don't know anything about it. I watch football on TV. I don't need to tell the coach to tell me what to do. I listen to the, the analysts on the, on the ESPN. You don't know anything. 
What you doing? You know who's going to succeed in the, in, the, in the football? The one that, listen to what the coach tells him to do. Not the one who says, nobody will tell me what to do. Amen. People come to church. They haven't read the Bible through once. There's people in the church, they don't, they're not, they don't even pray for them. How do you know they don't pray for them? They don't know who they are. And they sit in, sit in the pew and a preacher preaches about me. You're going to tell me what to do. Well, what do you know about it? <laughs> is, that, is that too harsh? I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just telling you, the preacher doesn't want to drag you through life against your will. He wants to lead you into spiritual truth. But it'd be really great if you wanted to be led. Whole thing work out just great. All right, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. Listen, husband authority, parent authority, pastoral authority only works as far as it's submitted to. And you make your kids do what you want them to do, but only for a limited time. And then off they go. All right, so here we go, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, and verse number, <laughs> verse number 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness, be content with such things you have. <laughs> for, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Isn't that great? Amen. You know Jesus? Anybody here know Jesus? Amen. You know what he said? He'll never leave you and never forsake you. Amen. If you're saved, Jesus Christ always with you. Hallelujah. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man should do unto me. So every moment of every day of your life, Jesus Christ is with you and he's your helper. Amen. Verse 7, remember them which have the rule over you. Well, then guess what? Oh, I got to be so careful because you're going to think I'm going against the Bible and being blasphemous. And I'm just saying what the Bible says. So you always have Jesus and you also need other people? Jesus never leaves you and never forsakes you, but you need people to rule over you? Well, people say, I don't follow anybody but the Lord. Then you're wrong. I don't listen to anybody but Jesus. Then you're wrong. Because the Jesus who never leaves you and never forsakes you says, I'm going to put a them to rule over you. And I want you to remember that. Now, you say, well, I don't like that. I don't think I agree with that. Okay, so you got a nine-year-old. And about a year ago, you brought him to, to church to tell the preacher that he got saved. And the preacher sat down with your eight-year-old and he answered all the questions right. And seemed like your eight-year-old got saved. Praise the Lord. And, and your eight-year-old, eight now nine-year-old. And he's in Brother Steve Jones' Sunday school class. Brother Steve Jones taught him that uh, Jesus will never leave him or forsake him. Praise the Lord. And so he gets home that afternoon and you say, I want you to clean your room. And he says, you don't tell me what to do. Only Jesus tells me what to do. Is that valid? Well, how's it valid if you're 49 instead of nine and in church? <laughs> Preacher, my kid's a rebel. Your kids might be following you. Preacher, my daughter won't do what I tell her. Well, do you do what your husband tells you? 
Oh, I can't believe he said that. <laughs> That's why people come here, just to hear me say the things they can't believe I said. But there it is. Remember them which have the rule over you. Now watch, it's not, it's not just some guy with a title or a college degree who has spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. So does this man live it? Then when he teaches it, you ought to do what he says. Praise the Lord. Oh, all I need is Jesus. Yeah, verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. It's not about whether or not you know Jesus as your Savior and have Jesus with you till the day you die. It's about the life he wants you to live. Verse, verse 17, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. So stop there just for a minute. And I, I'm, I'm, with all honesty, all honesty, I'm going to say this. I get calls, but let me illustrate. I get calls repeatedly from someone my dentist pays to call me repeatedly to come in and have my teeth cleaned. Do you know why they call me repeatedly? because they apparently care more about my teeth than I do. Because I haven't called them. And if they don't call me, I don't think, you know, I ought to get my teeth clean. And I'll tell you how you can find out if you've got cavities or not. You just go down about 60 feet underwater, and if nothing hurts, you're good to go. Get about 20 feet down and something starts stabbing right here, you got, got an issue. Anyway. So I, I don't, uh, you get these, these uh, notices in the mail, it's, or e email, you know, it's, it's time for your annual physical. <laughs> You're a month past due for your annual physical. You're two months past due for your annual physical. Apparently, somebody at the doctor's office is getting paid to be concerned about my health in a way that I'm not concerned about my health. You understand? You say, well, nobody needs to tell me to read the Bible. How far are you this year? Good. Nobody needs to tell me to remember Christ's death. Really? When's the last time you spent an hour meditating on it beside the, the pastor arranging a service for communion? Look, I, I mean this respectfully. You pay, you pay the pest control company to think about your bugs for you. You pay the, whatever it might be. What's the point in giving to a church so you can have a pastor if you're not going to allow him to be concerned about your soul? Why would you take offense when the pastor is concerned about your soul? He's supposed to be concerned about your soul. In fact, in, in many cases, he's going to be more concerned about your soul than you are. Yeah. Yes, sir. One of the biggest frustrations in our lives as church leaders is, is caring more about people's marriages than some of them care about their marriages. Being more worried about the future of their children than they seem to be worried about the future of their children. To, to be more aware of, of the disastrous decisions that people are making than they are themselves. 
wouldn't, wouldn't you do well to follow the leadership of someone who is traveling where you at least profess you want to go? And the Lord says here that, that if they're the right kind of leaders, they're not doing this for themselves. Look, as they that might, must give account, they're not the ones that must give account. You must give account. But what a blessing to have a preacher or a bishop or an elder or a deacon in your life who lives like he was going to answer for you at the judgment seat of Christ. See what it says? As they that must give account, you got to give account. But thank God if you have people in your life that are, are concerned about your account. Yes, they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So here's what, I, here's what I, I'm supposed to want. I'm supposed to want for each one of you to get the most joyous, profitable, rewarding outcome at the judgment seat possible. And if you don't, it doesn't cut into my profit margin. It cuts into yours. See what you just read? It's unprofitable for you. But thank the Lord. Thank the, I've had them in my life. I hope you have them in your life. People that really, really want you to get fully rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. And if you're not, it doesn't hurt them. It hurts you. But they're living like, they're urging like, they're pleading like, it's going to hurt them, not you. And that's what the Lord wants, uh, wants you to aspire to be one of those people who urges not just your own life, but urges other people in their life to go as far as they can and do as much as they can for Jesus Christ because of eternity being in view. Now, come to 1 Timothy chapter number 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, and if I have not ground your gears yet, I am going to do so now. <laughs> Verse 17, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. One reason the world has such disrespect for people ministers is church people have such disrespect for ministers. Now, I'm not for all these flattering titles that men have devised and required uh, church people to give to them, but God says there ought to be not just a little honor involved in the ministry of the Word. It ought to be double what you give to anybody else. If you respect anybody, it ought to be a preacher, an elder, a bishop, a deacon. If you look up to anybody, it ought to be a preacher, an elder, a bishop, or a deacon. And whatever honor you give to a, a millionaire or a, a financier or a successful business person or an athlete or a movie star, you, you ought to just take that and just double it for anybody that labors in the word and doctrine. And if, if, if church people honored and respected preachers, like boys, and boys honor and respect ball players, 
And like little girls honor and respect singers and movie stars and beauty queens and all that, it'd be a different nation. It'd be a different country. Um, I, I, get, I get embarrassed with it. Uh, I don't seek it, look it out. But I'm telling you, I go to these churches to preach. These little boys and girls line up with their Bibles and want me to sign an autograph in their Bible. Uh, listen, I'll do that every time and I'll tell you why. Thank God those kids are trying to get somebody's signature who's preaching God's word to them instead of somebody leading them down some carnal path into nowhere. Amen. I don't, you know, the, you got all these crazy stuff, you know, people believe or don't believe. Uh, I, quite honestly, I don't care if anybody land on the moon or not. But if you're going to have prayed for a guy because he, he landed somewhere to prove evolution and couldn't prove it, uh, spent a billion dollars, brought back a bunch of rocks. <laughs> you ought to have a parade downtown, bring your whole family and, and throw some confetti and blow some horns for the guy that led you to Christ. Taught you how to have a good marriage. Taught you how to be sober. Taught you how to not be broke. Amen. What's a, what's a, oh, we won the Super Bowl. You didn't win nothing. Let's have a parade. What, watch a bunch of ball players get drunk? I'd have a parade every year for all the, all the preachers in town, all the Sunday school teachers in town, all the soul winners in town. Amen. You know how many prisons you'd have to have if it wasn't for Bible preaching? Yeah. A lot more than you got now. How many rehab centers and, and drug tanks you'd have to have? Man, they ought to, they ought to, but they don't. One preacher does something rotten in the state of Florida being in the headlines. One preacher says something stupid and, and they find it on the internet and they'll, they'll run that guy out of town. It's perverted. It's upside down. Maybe more people would, would aspire, desire the office of a bishop, desire these positions of spiritual leadership if they saw the people they were leading more appreciative. I'm not asking for anything. You treat me well. I'm not complaining. I'm not fishing for anything. I'm simply telling you, young people look at how ministers are treated and church leaders are treated and they say, why would I want to get into that? Why would I want to put my family into that? Bad, that's a bad business, man. Bad business. Let the elders rule well, and we've got them here, thank God. Be counted worthy of double honor. That's a fact. You want to mess up your teenagers? You dishonor David Brown, their youth pastor. You talk to him like he's just one of the boys. You criticize him around the house. It's not good. Not good. You kids ought to honor, they ought to honor that man more than they honor the governor, more than they honor the president, more than, well, any president. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? We show disrespect in our homes for the people that are trying to lead our families and lead our children. What are you saying? Don't follow them. Don't follow them. That's a big mistake. Double honor, double honor. God, I pray for, pray for Bill and I pray for Joe and I pray for Tommy and I pray for, and God, I pray for the preacher and I pray for the preacher again. I pray for him twice. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Our bishops and our deacons, we got some godly men, been a big help to us, Amen. been a big help to you.
You say, well, I don't know. Thank God our church doesn't have any problems. You know something? It's really great. It's really great for sheep to just graze and go to the still waters and graze and go to the still waters and just, just act like there's not a wolf in the world. You know what it means if you don't think your church has any problems? It means you got some spiritual leaders that are looking out for you round the clock. Because there's always problems. And if you don't know it, you ought to thank the men that have made it so that you can come here and just have a good time every single week. Because they do, they do a lot of work for you. Do a lot of work for you. So back to 1 Timothy 3. We'll wrap this thing up for tonight. Have some more to say in the day to come. Verse number one, this is a true saying. You know, every verse in the Bible could start that way. <laughs> but if God starts a verse like that, it, it, he must want you to really stop and look at it. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. I, I, I just, I wish every, every man here would desire to be the best, most influential Christian they can possibly be. That's what it's going to take. What it's going to take. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you very much for the men you've put in our lives to watch out for us, watch over us, teach us, feed us, guide us, direct us, correct us when we're wrong, admonish us. Lord, give us good homes that we might have a good church. And Father, may all of us give uh, the honor that is due and the respect that is due to those that have, have labored in your word and labored in, in true Bible doctrine and fed us from your book. I thank you, God, for the men you've given me in my life to, to teach me through these many years. And I pray, Lord, we'd all have that, that appreciation, respect in our lives. God, give us men. In the present hour, you've given us some. Give us the next generation of men that will rise up and carry this work forward till the rapture. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And amen.